Welcome to the Dirt on Turf podcast. I'm your host, Chris Toppings. Today we have an amazing guest, but first, let's hear it from our sponsor. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specialize in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom nettings for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, overhead netting, barrier netting, sideline netting, golf course netting, and much more. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals continues to provide quality products and services to many recreational, high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Welcome to the Dirt on Turf podcast. I'm your host, Chris Toppings. Today, we have Luke Yoder, former Major League Baseball groundskeeper for the San Diego Padres and current vice president of help me out with this luke business development dura edge products business development of dura edge welcome luke great to have you i appreciate it chris thanks for having me on man yeah uh give us give everybody a list uh all the listeners like an introduction of yourself uh and kind of like kind of your turf career history kind of wrap all that up in one okay uh yeah no problem luke yoder uh, currently with Duredge Products, uh, in 94, I graduated from Clemson, got my BS in uh, horticulture turf grass management, and uh, did my internships in the golf course, decided to try baseball coming out of school, and uh, had the intentions of going back to golf, but I, I, I gave baseball a shot, ended up in Sioux City, Iowa, it was in the Northern League, they weren't affiliated with anybody, that was in 95. And then uh, in 96, ended up going to the Iowa Cubs, uh, AAA in Des Moines, Iowa. So at that point, I was like, well, maybe I'll make this baseball thing a career. And uh, was there four years, had four good years there. And next thing you know, I got the job at uh, PNC Park for the Pittsburgh Pirates to go in there and be part of new field construction. That was a dream come true. And then, and then uh, four years later, went to San Diego. Same thing, new ballpark. Uh, for the Padres and was there uh, uh, 15 years. So it, uh, you know, here I'm now working for Duredge Products and it's been a, a heck of a ride and it's, it's uh, kind of come full circle and nice to be uh, on this end of it. And mainly for family, you know, that big league schedule is, uh, is not for everybody. And um, so, yeah, it, uh, as I talked to you, I'm sitting out here in Georgia right now, making some, some visits and getting out and about again. Sorry, I had myself muted there. Uh, I'm sure last year was different, very different from your perspective and in what you do. I'm very, it was a big adjustment for you. Oh, it, it was, 
big time. I mean, when you, you can't compare it to anything. I mean, the closest thing you go back to 2008 and the recession and golf took a big hit, but mm -hmm. baseball, not necessarily. And it was recession proof, but now all of a sudden in, in 2020, uh, golf, <laughs> they did quite well for themselves. Good for them. But when they shut baseball down, softball down, all these sports and, you know, a lot of people in our industry have been, uh, had a rough year and it wasn't any fun. That's for sure. Um, going back to your career, who got you into turf or who was your mentor role model in the industry? Might be two separate answers, but who kind of like got you into it and who kind of yeah. did you lean on? Well, um, you know, when you go take that vocational test in high school, whether you're a junior or senior, <laughs> I graduated 90 from high school. There, there was nothing coming up on the radar, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, was up at my grandfather's farm in Ohio and, and visited my uncle, Mark, who was the superintendent at Sioux Country Club for 30 years. And at the time, I was a neighborhood lawn boy, but I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. I just didn't think about it, uh, manicure and turf grass. And anyway, stepped foot on his golf course uh, for the first time ever, you know, and just that bent grass and how nice it was. And I realized, okay, this could be a career. I, he told me he went to Ohio State for turf and he said Clemson had a turf program. So he, he's the one that led me to the turf grass major. And once I got into Clemson and worked on the golf course, uh, loved it and, and embraced it. Yeah, well, that's uh, and so you didn't want to go the golf route. What made you decide to go the baseball route? What kind of? Uh, well, my first, you know, mentor, uh, besides my uncle, was was my doctor Mazer and at Clemson. He was my advisor and uh, ran the turf grass department. I worked for him in the turf grass research plots, twenty hours a week as a student, which was awesome. So I spent four years with him and. You know, I was interning on the golf course at the country club in my hometown, and he suggested, why don't you try something, something different? You know, I was like, well, like what, you know, for your last internship? He said, well, how about the Greenville Braves, you know, double A team in my hometown? And I said, okay. So I tried it and had a blast. And so I, after that summer, when I graduated, I decided, well, just, just try baseball. You can always come back to golf. Um, and the baseball thing panned out, so. Yeah, um, it's always interesting to hear, you know, especially baseball guys and sometimes golf guys and sports, other sports, football, how they got to where, you know, what made them take that, you know, that path that they were on. Mm -hmm. So it's always interesting to hear the different stories. Yeah. Well, in your current position that you're in at DuraEdge, a mild breakdown of what you do on a day-to-day, -day, but really I want to talk about when you were at the Padres, um, if I'm not mistaken from our conversations we've had before at conferences, your position evolved over time to be, um, not as, I mean, you were still hands-on, but it started to evolve into such a special events kind of thing, not only baseball, but concerts and things like that. And, uh, if you talk about a little bit of that, like how your position grew the position you had at the Padres, how it grew and evolved into more than just a turf manager. I think that'd be, I think people would like to hear that. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was in AAA, my title was head groundskeeper and I enjoyed it. It was awesome. It was, but it was 
baseball groundskeeper with some events. Most of the events were baseball, maybe a small concert. And, um, Pittsburgh, it was manager of field maintenance. I had my hand in some of the you know, spring training as far as helping and working and supporting those guys down there. That was cool, but we didn't have a huge amount of events. And then you get to San Diego and it was, of course, going there. I don't have to pull a tarp, dream come true, but slowly the events did, did catch up with me, no doubt. So when I started there first five or six years, it was manageable, maybe 20 something events. Um, and then it turned into, you know, when I left, there was over a hundred events a year. So events were, you know, every bit of your time as much as baseball. Um, and uh, it kind of, you know, you slowly adapt to that because you realize number one, it's not your field and, you know, you're there to do a job to support the owner and what the owner wants to do on his field. Uh, but it does get to a, a certain point where it's like, okay, well, I really want to continue to do this and you know, start a family doing this or get back home to family, you know, with, with support. Um, but, you know, besides that to the, you know, the good part of it, cause I was still you know, doing baseball, but the, the San Diego job evolved into, you know, my title was director of field operations for the Padres. So it was a lot of fun to, you know, support our minor league groundskeepers and uh, if they needed it, was more than happy to go there to support, you know, if they didn't pat on the back, I mean, they, you know, some of these guys did a great job in our, in our system. And so to go see, you know, the minor league teams and then the Dominican as well, we built a new complex down there and uh, probably made over a dozen trips down there and a little bit over a year. So that was a, a really cool experience to go down and be part of the, the whole Padre baseball operation system, if you will, um, on that level, um, especially in the Dominican. Uh, but yeah, the, the events did get to the point where, okay, well, you know, one good thing about it was once we had monster trucks, then as soon as the season ended, they could have as many events as they wanted and there was no pressure. I didn't have to worry about it for the most part uh, because once you have monster trucks, you're going to resaw it every year. So that was actually not a bad deal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's some damage done there. Uh, just from weight and everything else. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All that thousands of tons of clay they bring in and build all those mounds and everything. And it's something else. Yeah. Well, what in your role today at Dirt Edge, give us kind of a breakdown on day to day, like what you do pre COVID. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I like that better, uh, which we're kind of getting back to, but um, yeah, uh, two weeks ago, I, I made a tour through the Carolinas. Um, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite trips. You know, I always leave on a, you know, usually leave on a Monday morning, get back Friday, but you know, to hit, a dozen teams or so many minor league teams in the Carolinas, um, not to mention, <clears throat> you know, USC, Clemson, you get to the Raleigh Durham area and, you know, Duke, NC State, UNC, Chapel Hill, all clients. So to be able to get in the car and spend a week driving through the Carolinas and, and stopping and seeing, you know, not just clients, friends, you know, and, and even friends, prospects, and just to go out and hit the road, that's where I, you know, get my gratification now is, is stepping foot on fields and just talking turf and dirt with those guys. So um, I'm, I'm doing the Georgia route this week and Tennessee and Alabama. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just fun to be back out on the road. Uh, um, I would say I'm 
I try to be in the home office two weeks. So it's nice to have a week in the home office after a trip like this and then <clears throat> get back out on the road, um, whether it's in a car or plane. Uh, you know, still, even though I live in the southeast and concentrate here, um, you know, get to still go out west. It's always fun to visit California and um, the northwest. I was out in Reno uh, earlier this year. Yeah, I saw uh, that. I saw that. Pleasure to, to be able to work out there with Leah and, and the whole crew and, and all the team that, you know, was put together was fantastic. And I got to go see my buddy Tim Wilson up in Seattle at the Mariners. You know, congrats to him with his new gig and, um, you know, Tacoma Rainiers. Uh, all that. So it's, it's, it's fun to, to, to get back out again a bit and hopefully we keep moving this way and, and, uh, you know, keep baseball going. Yeah. It seems it's, it seems to be, uh, it seems to be taking a, everything seems to be taking a turn towards a little bit more normalcy back to what mm -hmm. it was. I mean, I don't think it'll ever be exactly what it was. There'll, there'll be some places that, always have precautionary measures but i see you know things are starting to people are starting to relax a little more now so that's that's a good thing that's a positive <laughs> no doubt no doubt uh looking at your career uh high point a low point of your career like any time that and if it, you don't have a very low point uh a time of adversity where you that you face in your career if you know if that's easier to kind of come about but those just those two points a high point and low point of your career um I, I would say the the high point was getting my first job in the big leagues with with the pirates um I, I was young I was 28 years old and uh it was my goal but I didn't anticipate that it would happen you know, six years after graduating Clemson, if you will, and five years maybe. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I started there in February 2000. Um, and to have not just, you know, your, your goal of getting a major league job, but uh, opportunity to build a brand new field. So that was, that was the high point. And we had a lot of fun that first year uh, planning and, and building the field, you know, project managing it and going through that whole process and we had plenty of time. We, we didn't have any games that year. We went to three rivers to watch games and then the, you know, opened up in 01. Um, Pet, Petco was, you know, equally a high point to a certain extent because all of a sudden now I got another opportunity, you know, I was in Pittsburgh four years and uh, leaving there with it on a good note with another opportunity to build another field in the big leagues and be part of that and move to San Diego where you don't have to pull the tarp. So, that was another extremely uh, hot, high note. Um, you know, the, 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 the low note, which lasted just for a little bit, but there was a couple week period in San Diego as we were building the field that I said, dang it, Luke, you've done this once. Why do you want to go through it again? You just had everything the way you wanted it in Pittsburgh. Now you got to do everything. You're setting up the shop. You're working with this, you know, this contractor that was a landscape contractor and it was, it was tough to get the project done right. And it was, man, it was a, it was a headache for a while. So there was a brief moment where I said, why did you leave Pittsburgh? You had everything set up. So uh, that went away pretty quick and we ended up getting it set up bigger and better than we ever had. And so uh, the, those were, 
those were the mainly the high points. Uh, the low point, which you know, I won't get into much more unless you have specific questions. The, the most, you know, the biggest low point really in my career um, was COVID. Just to see baseball shut down. You know, last year in 2020, it was awful. I mean, it was not a fun year. So, um, but again, I'm not the only one. We all went through that together, and and we're getting out of it. So. Yeah, you know, and everybody pretty much that listens to this podcast would 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 agree that. Uh, it probably wasn't handled the best way on a grand scheme. It was kind of like everybody followed one organization. And like, I think the NBA was the first to come out and say, we're shutting everything down. So everybody else was just like, uh, 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 what do we do? We're going to shut down too, you know, instead of trying to say, well, let's take a break and let's assess what we're going to do, you know? Right. And then, you know, so, but you know, everybody handles things different and, uh, it was different for across the board. You know, we got sent home for 30, 40 days, you know, mm. we worked for the state, you know, that's, that's unheard of almost working for the state. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, but you know, it, we made adjustment and it worked out. Um, a benefit from it is we didn't have our part-time help and myself and the other assistant we found a lot more efficient ways to do things yeah that we hadn't thought about in the past because other people had been doing it for so long and that's the way we had trained them and then so we started doing small little projects in-house that didn't we didn't have to go buy resources for we used things that we had to make our lives easier because we didn't know what the future held with getting help and it's turned out now that you know from an efficiency standpoint, it's been very beneficial for yeah, us as a whole. And it's pretty much set up for the next man and for the next man. And I mean, it's, it's, it just runs like a sewing machine now. That, that's outstanding. And I've heard a lot of those stories and I, I I'm hopeful that some of the sports turf talk topics at the talks will be on that, you know, improved efficiency and what's new, because I, I've heard a lot of stories, whether it's growth regulators or, you know, down here in the South going out and, and treating, you know, your Bermuda when it's dormant with, you know, every, you know, herbicide when it comes to post-emergent and, and pre-emergent and glyphosate, you know, and, and just the results they've got out of some of these thinking outside the box. Well, okay, we can't mow, so let's hit it with a heavy growth regulator. And wow, we're going to keep doing that, you know. So um, that'll be something good to come out of it. That will be new topics at the show, maybe. Uh, I'll tell you what we did, 129 acres of Bermuda, uh, the game fields are 419 and the common areas are common Bermuda grass, you know what I mean? They're just, you know, like the out of play areas and then across the rest of the complex. Well, it was such short notice that we were gonna be going home. It was like three days notice. All we had was was a bunch of glyphosate. So yeah, we did, uh, my boss said, we're gonna do a quarter rate. We're gonna do a quarter rate complex wide roundup or awesome. glyphosate. Man, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, it, that is great. It barely dinged the Bermuda and bounced right back, but dinged it just enough that we didn't have to wait to get PGRs. And I mean, it's not ideal to do every year, but we were in a crunch. We were also in a budget crunch with everything that was going on, and we said so we were like, "Well, yeah. let's see what happens." You know, this is what yeah, we, that's... this is why they hired us for our positions. This is what we do. Yeah, so let's do it, and yeah. worked out great. Uh, when we came back, we weren't 
it didn't look like we were mowing wheat straw. Um, <laughs> so yes, it worked out great. Um, um, moving on from that, uh, current position challenges. Well, we kind of talked about that with you kind of hit on that with everybody kind of being cooped up, but back to your days in baseball, what did you, what, what's the one thing that you always was always a challenge, no matter where you were, or even when you're out in the field now with these baseball guys and sports turf guys, what do you see is the main uh, challenge that they have other than uh, trying to find help? <laughs> that seems like to be the big problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, but but what would you say was uh, one of the biggest challenges you've seen? Well, here recently, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. It's, it's getting good help and, and, and retaining good talent uh, when it comes to minor league level um, for sure. Um, You know, when it comes to, uh, you know, maintaining a baseball field um, I don't think that, uh, a lot of people like myself included when I was, you know, minor league, major league, understand what the division one guys go through. Um, the, the rigorous repetitive workouts and the base running and uh, the activity just from the team alone on these D one fields is, uh, is a huge challenge. Now I don't want to say they're used to it, but they work around it and they're crafty and um, you know, there's, Best fields in the country. I mean, down here, SEC and ACC, these guys was at uh, Chris Mays Field this morning. I mean, it is dialed in. Um, and so what they do to overcome that, uh, I'd love to spend more time and see a lot more of it. But, man, it's a lot of hands-on and a um, lot of communication with the coaches and the teams. And, you know, it, big league level, most of the players come out and, and they're wearing turfs. Um, they're not wearing spikes and they're not – running bases and this and that, but they're going out there, you know, a lot more time during the day and wearing spikes. And so um, that that's a challenge at the D1 level that not everybody's aware of. Um, they have a lot of spotlight on them as well, you know. That's right. Especially, that's right. especially ACC and SEC baseball. Oh, yeah. There's a lot mm-hmm. of spotlight on those teams. In, In the Carolinas, period, I mean – you look at East Carolina, I mean, UNC Chapel Hill, NC State, Clemson, Coastal Carolina. Those teams have a lot of spotlight. Oh, have all a lot of, of spotlight, I mean, spotlight on those teams. Yep. USC Gamecocks, I mean, their field is dialed. I mean, Clark and his boys do a hell of a job. And, um, yeah, there, there's, and there's a lot more pressure on those guys than um, even minor league guys think. You know, I mean, a lot of them – know it. I mean, your Matt Parrott's out there. He's tight with all these guys. He knows what they go through, but I didn't know all that. So I have a whole new respect for, uh, you know, athletic turf managers at the D one level. Um, you know, talked to Brandon Harden the other day and just hearing them, you know, they're in the running. And I mean, they coach is putting pressure on everybody, you know, and, and these guys do a heck of a job, but I don't care, you know, how good you are when you get to be that in that competitive level, there's going to be pressure. And they're going to be out there doing their thing and staying in their routine. Um, you know, with the minor league guys this year, I think it's, you know, it could be more events. I mean, these clubs have to recoup somehow. They've got to make money. And um, they're not going to pack the house. They're going to do baseball and events. So you know, I was over at McLean Murphy's at 
Gwinnett earlier this week, and I haven't seen an event calendar like that in a while. My goodness. I mean, triple header, back-to-back-to-back day high school games when the team's gone, concerts out to yin-yang, you know, not ideal load-in set up. And squad so those that have a taxi squad and teams trying to generate more revenue with events it's going to be a challenging year no doubt not to mention those that have soccer those are in a different level of their own but soccer is i'd rather have a concert on my field than i would a soccer game yeah um cultural practices what's a cultural practice that you always seem to live by when you were and you were in the, and what do you still suggest to people as a cultural practice they need to live by? Uh, in, in terms to, in terms of cultural practices for turf grass, I would have to say core aerification. Um, not to say I never used hollow or uh, solid tines. I mean, I did use some bayonets every now and then, but um, typically would would get the you know larger hollow core. Um, Tine and not the side eject, but the tubular, you know, they don't last as long, but man, they got a sharp edge and it's clean and it, you know, it, it's not as thick. So it just cleaner hole, pulling nice cores and, and doing that five to six times a year. Um, that was, that was something that I did, you know, everywhere I was at now in Pittsburgh, if it was hot in August, maybe I'm not doing it, but in San Diego pushing Bermuda, we did it a lot. And, there were times too that we probably aerified the edges, you know, seven or eight times a year. So in between that, we would just aerify the edges. I mean, if you have nice edges, your whole field is going to be nice. And that's where it gets a lot of the wear and tear. So uh, pulling cores and being smart about it because you could pull cores all the time. If you go at the same depth all the time, you're still going to create some sort of a hard pan. So starting off the year, especially if we had, you know, resodded starting off the year, we might only, go down inch and a half, two inches through the side because we don't have a compaction issue. And then each time we dial it down a quarter inch or so, by the end of the year, you know, we're down to four or five inches or whatever that was. Um, and then with the top dressing in conjunction with that, we wouldn't top dress every time, but we top dressed a fair amount. And uh, the order of it, I used to pull cores and then top dress. Well, Found out that if you top dress first, of course, we come out and mow it down, scalp it down with the Bermuda first, and then we top dress it. And then we core aerify, and it would work it into the holes and uh, so much better. And, and the main point of that is you're not taking your most heavy piece of equipment, which is your top dresser, over a field that's just been aerified. When you do that, you're going to leave small indentions and I want to call them ruts, but you're going to see those tire tracks for a while. So by top dressing first, you're taking a heavy piece of equipment before you relieve the compaction, working it in with the air fire. Then when you go out and drag the cores to, to bust up the sand on it to where you're just picking up the thatch layer or the sod layer, you're knocking in more sand. Mm -hmm. Finally, when you sweep it up, it works the sand into the holes even more. And some people might say, well, you're picking up sand. No, you're not. You're picking up a very, very small amount of sand. Uh, so that that was uh, probably you know what I live by when it comes to, you know cultural practices of turf grass. You're not getting into uh, cutting and all that, but uh, and, and then the dirt. You know, there's two there because as a you know baseball groundskeeper, you know you're spending most of your time on the on the infield skin, and it would be you know 
nail dragging with proper moisture on a regular basis. So you know, to me, the most important cultural practice on an infield, if you're not really talking watering, is nail dragging at the right time with the right moisture. And typically that was in the morning uh, for us on a typical big league schedule. You know, that's, that's interesting. You know, what you said about top dressing first and then air fine and dragging in that order. You've also, at the same point, you've benefited your turf. You've also become more efficient. That's right. Because you're actually dragging. You're actually pretty much putting that material in those holes three times, that's right. three times that's better right. than you were. I mean, that's right. Yeah. And that's amazing. You know, it's just, you, we you don't could think put of down it. 50 tons of sand on one field and it looked like we put 25 out when it was all said and done. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, one of the last things we do after sweeping, you know, you always got them pesky cores that got smashed in by a tire or something. They're all kind of out there. We'd come in with a triplex verticut and go over the field with a verticutter. And, and keep in mind, we did scalp it down to three eighths of an inch before this. So if our mowing height was five eighths, we go to three eighths. If our mowing height was a half inch, we go to a quarter inch and scalp it first. We're talking Bermuda, not bluegrass. Um, but then after we'd sweep it, we'd go out there and do a light verticut and it would pull out any little cores and also work the sand and more. And then it's one last drag and blow with a Buffalo turbine. Uh, at that point we fertilize and then, you know, since it's been scalped, you don't have to get out there and mow it for five or six days. So, you know, we're getting this done in a 24 hour period, you know, one day period, and we can stay off the beaten path and not take the mower out there, uh, to mow the sand, the fertilizer and all that. And then we can just step back. So. Yeah, that's, I like that. That's, that's, uh, I've heard of people doing it, just never done it personally that way. Uh, but. It sounds a lot more efficient. Oh yeah, it works. Um, speaking of efficiency, workplace efficiency, saving money. Name one thing in your career that stands out to you that made you or your team more efficient or save money. Oh, uh, I would say, you know, if you said, ask me to name one thing and something I did everywhere I was ever at, it would be equipment care and maintenance. Absolutely. Um, you know, taking the off season to go through an owner's manual of each piece of equipment and learning by going through the owner's manual and eventually getting familiar with equipment and being able to just about do it in your sleep. But yeah, all, everything from the oil to filters, air filters, and, and a grease gun is an extremely important tool. I mean, we, we would grease, uh, you know, our, our equipment even in, during the season. So, um, you know, the equipment maintenance and care, we took a lot of pride in and, uh, you know, in turn probably saved the club a lot of money because we maintained it so well and it was worth so much at the end if we had a lease or some cases we owned it. So, you know, you take care of your equipment, it'll take care of you. That's right. Yeah, we, we take care of ours like that as well. And we get a rainy day, you know, that's the first thing we're doing. All right, got an equipment day. Yep. Equipment day today. And uh, that grease gun, whew, I can't tell you how many things grease. Oh, man. I've been through in 12 years time. I, we, I can't even count. We got we got a, a pneumatic grease gun that we hooked up to the air hose reel in San Diego that was right by the lift, the equipment lift. So that that pneumatic grease gun is the best. 
Um, recently got one for, for my home, for my tractor and some other equipment. Uh, that new, uh, what's well, a DeWalt, it's a battery powered grease gun. Yeah, I've seen that. That thing is awesome, man. It's rapid fire. Yeah, it, it makes it makes the job a lot easier for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, continuing education, staying informed, use of technology apps. Explain in your eyes the importance of continuing education in the turf world and staying informed and apps to using technology and maybe if you use some, what are the ones you use? Well, uh, all important. They all helped me throughout my career, uh, no doubt. Um, continuing education, uh, you know, hopefully we get back to some in-person sessions, but, uh, uh, you know, STMA is great. The, the GCSAA has a lot of great agronomic uh, resources as well. Um, you know, it's, it's selecting the right education too that's pertinent to where you're at and, and what you're maintaining. Uh, so, you know, besides that, you know, of course, you got to get your your continuing education credit. So that's actually essential. Um, you know, the staying informed is is huge. And I think of that as a you know, networking. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was huge for me at STMA when I was you know starting back in Iowa and everything from the Iowa STMA to the national STMA. And, you know, all the people that I'd met along the way. Um, wouldn't be in this spot without the networking. And so that that's essential. The the only thing I would say about that is, you know, if you're going to lean on several people or, or, you know, network like that and and reach out and try new things, try to keep it somewhat, you know, limited, you know, you can't be getting 25 opinions for one thing on your infield or, or your pitcher's mound, you know, so uh, leaning on three or four for that type of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, everywhere I was ever at, I always had the local doctor at the university. So, you know, I mentioned Dr. Mazur at Clemson getting started off. I talked to him when I was in Sioux city, when I moved to Des Moines, I got to know Dr. Minner at Iowa state. So running all the tests through that, he's helping me with it. You know, it's based on science. Um, and then going to Pittsburgh, it was Dr. McNitt at Penn State, you know, and uh, I'm not going to do the same thing I did in Des Moines that I did in Pittsburgh. We have a new field and different sand base. So I kind of had to relearn that. And if you will, I took my raking skills, but I didn't take my fertility program. Uh, right. Because you're starting over, you're starting fresh. And uh, that's getting into the technology part where to me, the technology is more science and data and it's, it's telling you exactly what needs to go down uh, based on science and based on talking to uh, doctors in the industry. I mean, they got their PhD, you know, for a reason and they're able to uh, really evaluate, you know, those chemical analysis and those physical analysis in your soils better than, than I am. So um, leaning on them. And then at that point, you know, th- then you're developing your relationships with your partners and building your program based off of, of science. Now, uh, there is a lot of apps out there, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, moisture percentage uh, on your root zone or for your infield skin, um, you know, the spectrum moisture meter, I think the POGO is out there, but that can help you to train your staff. So uh, a lot of us, uh, you know, are, are adjusting our moisture based on manual tests with soil probes or how it feels or how it looks based on our knowledge. We know this field and there's nothing wrong with that at all. 
that's how I did it for most of my career. But you can go out there and get a number of your ideal moisture percentage in your field on your infield skin, you know, might be 28% or 32%, maybe that range, for example, in the top inch of this is an ideal uh, moisture level to achieve the maximum performance for your, you know, dirt surface or whatnot, or for your bluegrass um, root zone. And, and then you can pass that tool onto an assistant uh, who can have a gauge and a number to shoot for instead of just saying, oh, go flood it or water this long or put this much down. So uh, that type of technology I think is extremely important and you can get an app uh, for that obviously and then you can record it and do all that. I typically like to you know, sit in front of a computer and look at it. You, know, you can send the information in, but um, you know, it's, it's science and science is out there and there's a lot more technology that makes it a lot more simple to acquire it than, than used to be when I was in it. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, you know, about the moisture, you know, some people aren't wired like the next person. So let's right. say, for instance, you go out there, tell your assistant, I want you to water for this, this long. Well, his, his pattern, even though he's not going to have standing water, because if anybody's watered the infield of a baseball field, you know that that's a very, uh, it's a very serious task, especially before a game or anything like that. So he might do it a little different than you did it. And so it might not be exactly where you wanted it moisture wise. Even That's right. Told him to That's do it right. like you're thinking in your head, but if he has a number to go by, then he learns his own way of doing. That's right. I need to reach That's this right. level. And yep. so. Yep. And we have to adapt with those changes. And it, and it takes some confusion out of it. So we all know that groundskeepers and coaches speak in different languages when it comes to what do they want their infield like? Absolutely. It's too hard, it's too soft, it's this or that. I mean, it's two totally different languages. So it could also help with that. But like to your point, even, you know, groundskeeper to groundskeeper, if you will, you know, we grew up different. Everybody's on different wavelengths and different, you know, we, we speak differently too and think differently too. So it, it's one thing to tell somebody go out there and water for 15 minutes or make sure you water it even or flutter to this or that. But if you give them something tangible like that to go by, I think it really helps. And I've seen examples of it actually. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it, there's no, there's not as much gray area in a situation like that. <laughs> right. Uh, and that's uh, especially in the, we all have our quirks and in the turf world for sure. And I'm sure most yeah. every other career we have a, just a certain way that we like things to be. And that's right. Sometimes that's right. we're not like one of my weaknesses. Sometimes I'm not as specific with my part-time people as I should be. And maybe you don't have the time either. I mean, mm -hmm. I think what we're talking about here too is, you know, when you, when you come from, you know, before apps, if you will, like I am, it's, it's developing that turf consciousness. And how do you develop it? I mean, what is turf consciousness? Turf consciousness is having a, a good sense for what type of moisture you have in your profile, whether it's the infield skin or your root zone. And to me, that used to be done with a soil probe. And, and actually, when I was in the minor leagues, I didn't wear shoes, so I used my big toe to push in. You know, once I got to the big leagues, I had to bend over and push my thumb into the infield skin and develop a big callus. But it, turf consciousness is also, you know, constantly being aware when you're walking on the field or when you're on a mower, whatever you're doing, and you're looking at things and you're putting in your mind, it's instantly going in w without even thinking about it. And it says, okay, I, 
uh-oh, I got to address that before the game. I'll get that at three o'clock. And then, you know what, that right there, I'm going to you know, plan to resod in front of the mound uh, the next road trip. And I'm looking down here. All right, okay, that right there, shortstop, I might have to address this area a month from now. And, you know, out here is going to be a year from now. So you're constantly having that, that mindset where it's coming in and um, it's impossible to teach that. And it takes a long time for that to develop. Mm-hmm. But I think apps and, and some technology and the science can, can assist with that and, you know, be more tangible and relate more. You're exactly right. And actually on a, on another scale of that, you, you hit the nail on the head. You can't teach that. Just like you can't teach the, that drive. No, you either have it or you don't. And I think that we talked about this earlier about that's what a lot of people in every career field, not only turf are having trouble finding is, is help and retaining good help and retaining good talent. And, you know, you got to have that. You, it's not so much as having the knowledge, but having the want to, to get that knowledge goes just as far sometimes as already having the knowledge, you know, that, that's wanting right. to understand and wanting to why ask why ask me why I'm not going to get mad at you say, well, why, why right. are you doing this? Why is this? What? No, I don't know anybody in the turf industry that's going to, that's going to, they might say, well, let's finish this up and then we'll, then I'll explain it. Yeah. But they, they're not going to get upset with you at all, ever. I don't ever mind that question, but the answer I will never give is this is the way we've always done it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That's not a good answer. That's right. Now you could get frustrated with somebody and say that, but I never give that answer. And like you said, if there's not time to explain it now, maybe give a short sentence and say, we'll go sit down after work and talk about, you know, and because I always like to hear ideas too, but I also like, somebody new and fresh to come in and for them to sit and observe for a month at least, you know, or a couple of weeks at least before, you know, do something several times and then, you know, come give me an idea. And I'm open, always open to hearing something new. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a transition that all of us have had to make. And especially with just think of the, how the generations have evolved how different i mean you probably know how different you had to approach people that worked for you 20 years ago as you would today you know unreal things are very different Mm -hmm. well moving forward we're starting to wrap this up we got a couple turf questions left but i think we know the answer to this your ultimate career goal that you hoped to achieve or have achieved. And I'm guessing it's going to be being able to get to the big leagues, but I might be wrong, but whatever it it is, how, how did you feel? No, it, it, that was my goal. And uh, again, moving to, you know, getting that Pittsburgh job uh, was, yeah, it felt like I hit the lottery. I just, Mm -hmm. awesome. I I can't can't explain it. Uh, It was just the ultimate a career accomplishment is what it was. And, you know, it's, it's of course, right place at the right time and all of that as well. I mean, it, you know, everything's got to fall together, but uh, you know, that, that, that energy and, and adrenaline rush, it stayed with me for a long, a long time. And, you know, last several years in, in San Diego, when I started to lose that, it was also because I knew, that I wanted to move back home and, and start a family and all that. And, and, you know, get something that was more manageable, but 
but just as rewarding. And that's been, you know, what's cool about the change is I can still get gratification and uh, excitement and adrenaline rushes out of it. It's, it's, it's awesome, but it wasn't, you know, uh, you know, the, the big league spotlight and you have your own field and you're in a fishbowl and everybody's looking at you all the time type thing. But, uh, yeah, that, that was, uh, uh my career goal. And, and now it, uh, is transitioning into something that, you know, quite honestly, is just as exciting and just as rewarding. Um, uh, what would that be? What's, what's your, what's your goal from here? That's, that's a good question for us. Well, um, I, I would say it's to, um, uh, to do at the lower levels, uh, and repeat what we're doing, even, you know, Meyer league and, and division one. So, you know, Duredge engineered solution is, is going into the lower levels. And so I, I get more gratification out of seeing somebody uh, make a change and, and benefit off of it at the lower levels, even, I mean, it's awesome to go down there and, you know, the kids are playing on it and they can have a predictable uh, surface and a predictable hop. And so it's, it's that which also goes to natural baseball fields and, and doing natural baseball fields right the first time. And, you know, we, we've, <laughs> we've done a lot with, with fixing things, but to come in from the beginning and do it right the first time, which kind of leads to, to what we did in, in, you know, some of the time we spent in 2020 was, was diversification. And so, you know, our business development team at, at Duredge uh, has, has worked hard on, on a natural solution for baseball fields. And what does that look like? Well, to me, it looks like design um, and, and specifications from a groundskeeper's perspective, you know, do a design build on a field from a groundskeeper's perspective and a baseball player's perspective. So uh, we've just, you know, launched out and put out this sister company called Foremost and Foremost Sport Group the architect played the game of baseball. He scouted the game of baseball, coached it. He brings design from a baseball player's perspective. And then the business development team, uh, we've got some other groundskeepers on the advisory panel as well, but we bring 150 years combined experience in building and maintaining baseball fields um, at the professional level and, and even levels, levels below as well, which is just as important. Uh, so to, to offer that to somebody that it's a one-stop Kind of you know shop if you will, um, and and you're getting a custom design, and you're involved in it every step of the way, and you get to see you know clear options of good, better, and best, and you get to see you know exactly the cost of square per square foot, and and get it done right the first time because I you know we've also we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know mm -hmm. these guys are good friends of mine as well, and you know even from PNC Park to to, to Petco Park. I mean, PNC Park, I was fortunate there. We had a good architect experienced at the time. You know, we had a qualified field builder and we had project management. Um, I was new. I didn't know. I got to see it all put together. When I got to San Diego, we had a low bid contractor, extremely low bid. And first day on the job, they put this spec in front of me and the, the design, it was exactly the same as PNC. Padres paid a hundred grand for this cut and paste spec that was outdated. Like, come on, you're not going to the same field he i mean so you know that that type of thing to where we can get out in front of it and and help people do it right the first time because if it's not done right the first time maybe they'll go artificial and 
you know, there is a place for artificial in this, in this industry. There is. Uh, it's yeah, I know. And it's in lacrosse. I'm just going to head from experience for the last 10 years. It's lacrosse. That's where you need to have it. I yeah. Lacrosse and, and Gosh. yeah. So, uh, you know, your inner city fields as well. And there, you know, sometimes you got to right. have it where you have five sports on one field, but man, it's landlocked. So Some of these people are landlocked. Yeah. And, and so many cases, uh, I hate to see a, a artificial field going to baseball when there's no doubt we could have done it, you know, done it right with, with natural. It's just getting out there and, um, you know, informing and, and continuing to educate. So, um, that, that's something that, uh, we're pretty excited about and been working hard on. So DuraEdge, so they offer products to maintain fields. They offer like pitching rubbers. They offer everything, don't they? Consulting Dur for the field. I mean, y'all covered the whole thing, don't you? DuraEdge uh, is the innovator of engineered soils for ball fields. And that means baseball and softball, infield skin. Uh, we do the, you know, the packing clays, the black stick, um, you know, warning tracks. Um, top dressings, conditioners, so anything related to the infield skin. Um, USGA soils were introduced to the game of golf in the 60s. Uh, by the 70s, the upper echelons of the game installed USGA engineered soils. So it probably cost five times as much to, to install a golf green as it did to do a push-up golf green. All the old golf greens were native local soils. So they used to build them for five grand and then that USGA engineered soils might've been 25 grand. Well, it started at the upper echelons of the game of golf. And you know, by the time the nineties hit around most municipal courses had it. Today, you probably can't even find a push up green. I mean, there's very few, everybody has put in the USGA engineered soils. Um, so DuraEdge uh, launched the first engineered soils for, for baseball and softball in 2004. Um, and it's, you know, it's taken off through the upper levels first. And so there's 25 teams uh, that play on their edge engineered soils in the major leagues. There's over a hundred in the minor leagues, over a hundred D one and a thousand down below that. So that that's where it's going is the, the lower levels of the game. And it's just getting over that, you know, that mark where, okay, well, it used to cost 5,000 to build a golf green and it's going to cost 25 for USGA engineered soils. Well, look at the benefits those soils provided. You know, they can play more rounds of golf. They can make more money. It's more predictable maintenance. I mean, you can't teach in a college class, you know, how to maintain a push-up golf green when there's so many different soils across the country. And so to, to duplicate that across the country and, and you can teach in the classroom now, that's why USGA engineered soils took off. I mean, again, it, it's consistent ball bounce and ball roll, but consistent predictable maintenance. And then you play more rounds of golf. Well, DuraEdge Engineered Soils is, is, is very similar. And so that's where we're at. We're at that stage where it's, it's, you know, the lower levels are starting to get it, starting to understand it, that, you know, we call it the 100 over 30. You're going to pay $100 a ton or $30 a ton. So if a superintendent or something all of a sudden sees a, a, a you know, quote from a groundskeeper says, hey, I want to put this DuraEdge in. Well, why are we paying $100 a ton when we paid 30 a ton last year? Well, there's a big reason for it. It's you get a return on investment and simplify your maintenance and uh, 
your headaches can can mostly go away and, and your performance increases. And the number one, safety. I mean, you get a bad hop coming up and hitting an eight-year-old girl at softball, she's never going to play again. Hey, so. Right. Well, moving from there, one of the last turf questions we have here. Share a funny or crazy turf story that listeners can appreciate. Something that's happened to you. I know you've got to have a good turf story. Something funny. Hmm. A turf story. Something that's something that, you know, in know baseball, most about, people talk about yeah. during game or, yeah, we want to keep it PG, but. Yeah, I don't know if I should talk about the first uh, Major League Baseball B delay or the, the bubble I had in the outfield at pregame. Let me see. I, probably a lot of people have heard about the Bs, but uh, I'll go into the bubble and the, and the grass. So I was watering I'm on a day game. It was a Tuesday, Thursday getaway. I can't remember. 12.30 start at the Padres. And I got halfway through watering the infield at pregame. You know, it's about 12.15, I think, at this point for 12.35 start. And uh, I got a signal from one of my guys in, in shallow left field, you know, like a come over here now. So I set the hose down, went running over there, and there was a bubble in the left field turf uh, that was about five feet, maybe four feet wide. Like okay. a waterbed, if I waterbed, yeah, it's like it's like a waterbed. That's right. Mm -hmm. So of course, turn the water off instantly. Run back there, turn the main off, come back out, look at it, take a you you know a, a knife and cut it open. And of course, water's oozing out. We're not, we're trying not to draw much attention, and and I stick my arm in it. And when I stuck my arm in it, I just kept going and kept going and kept going. Next thing you know, my all the way down to my shoulder. I mean, it's like three feet deep. And I pulled my arm out and I said, let's step away from here. We don't want to draw attention. I went over. I knew it had to kind of leak out because it was leaking out. The water was off. I went over and uh, told Buddy Black, the manager, I said, Buddy, I said, uh, this is all you're getting today. He said, come again. I said, I can't water anymore. You know, I told him I mean, ha literally half the infield was watered. And he said, all right, I get it. So I went back. And uh, grabbed uh, five bags of conditioner. I thought it might take two. Come out there. Uh, next thing you know, the anthem's going. So we had to stop and pause for that. Well, as soon as the anthem was done, I took a knife and I cut into that, pulled it back about a three-foot opening so we could peel back two sides of the turf. And it was thick, so, you know, it was rooted in there, sodded. So I peeled it back. And then we just started dumping the conditioner into the hole. I thought maybe we'd dump two bags in there. We dumped five bags into this hole to get it up to grade. Oh, wow. So, you know, of course, it's soaking up all the water. There's some water draining because it's a sand-based root zone. And, you know, we, we put the sod back, you know, tamped it in and stood back and looked at it. Next thing you know, the umpires are running out, players are running out, and they're starting the game. Step aside and just cross the fingers and hope for the best. But, I mean, it would have... Somebody would have lost their whole leg in there. I mean, it was. <laughs> oh man, what what ended up being the problem? Oh, there was a, a you know break in the lines. So the main line for the couplers was in the warning track. Mm -hmm. It wasn't underneath the field, but it's amazing how water travels when there's a break. 
Oh yeah. You know, when there's a small leak. So it was, you know, six, seven years into the, you know, you, eventually we had our first leak and um, maybe it wasn't our first, but it leaked out very slowly. It might've been leaking for, you know, a month and going into the drainage system, but eventually it found its way out there at the wrong time. Yeah, it found its way to that weak spot. That's right. Um, favorite quote or phrase? Oh, got well, a couple of fun questions here. Since I'm a turf and dirt guy, I'll have to give two of them for in terms of turf. I would say, and I'm taking this from Toma grass grows by the inch and it dies by the foot. Mm -hmm. Stay off it if you can. Uh, in terms of dirt, I would say, uh, not, not all dirt is created equal. <laughs> that is the truth. Yeah. If you're having your final meal, what would it be? It would be uh, Japanese sushi bar. Um, I cannot remember the name of the place, but uh, it would be some fine high-end Japanese sushi. And I guess if I can name my meal, I would have Kobe beef with it. Some of that marble Kobe beef. I don't know what it is with that thing. I mean, I love American beef and a good Iowa steak, but something they do to them, them cows over there it might have to do with the massaging or the, the headphones or something they put on these cows. They produce some, <laughs> man, the marbled ribeye is just to die for. We don't have to travel. If you wake up tomorrow and you've won the lottery, what's the first thing you do and what's your first non-essential purchase? Well, Probably wake up and I don't know. I, I don't know my initial reaction. I probably pinch myself and then my first purchase probably be a greenhouse. Mm. I'm a big gardener. I got a big garden, but I got a couple months that you know, I'd like to be out there in the winter and just have a greenhouse to start my garden and seeds and have some poinsettias in there. I could break out at Christmas time, maybe grow my own annuals. Uh, I've always wanted a greenhouse. I worked in the greenhouse at Clemson in, in, in the wintertime. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's... Yeah, you, you could probably do some of those poinsettias at Christmas and sell them. Yeah. <laughs> poinsettias, irises. Well, I wouldn't have to sell them. I'd just give them away if I won the lottery. This is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Lastly, what are some words of wisdom that you'd like to share for young and upcoming turf professionals? Uh... I would say, you know, about the conversation we had and we were talking about technology and turf consciousness and, and teaching that, I, I would say that, you know, number one, you got to have a passion for it. If you don't have a passion for it, you're not going to teach much of anything. Um, and then after that, everything else that I would say is not even related to turf grass, but, you know, I would just say, you know, once you, once you get an opportunity to interview and you start going in or, or talking to people about jobs, you know, look, look somebody in the eye when you're talking to them, you know, mm -hmm. simple things that my dad taught me growing up that sometimes you don't see today. Um, look at somebody in the eye when you're talking to them, you know, keep your hands out of your pocket. Um, you know, you can talk with your hands or just leave them down there, but don't just put your hands in your pocket and put your head down. That's not a good deal. Um, you know, dress like you own it, dress like you're the boss, dress, dress up to where, you know, you should be and, and, and at least 
start the day clean. Come in with clean clothes. I don't care how dirty you are when you leave, but, you know, be professional. Um, you know, my parents always told me, my parents always told me dress, dress for the job that you want, not the one that you have. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and then, and then it's maintaining pace with leaders around you. It's, it's keeping up and it's being cognizant of, of the schedule and the time and, um, you know, uh, just, just maintaining that pace and, um, leave, leave the phone in your locker. Don't be out there texting on the field. If you're just starting off, um, you know, if you got to answer to a boss at your club and he's giving you a phone, that's one deal. But, uh, you know, I, I would say just those simple things. And, you know, if you've got a passion for it and you've got a work ethic, you can go a long way. Yeah. The phone thing is, it's funny that you say that, um, you know, we all have, have phone instances, but you know, at the point that I am me and our other assistant or in our careers, I can get on my phone and handle something such as what I'm doing for supper or anything like that and never miss a beat and never. And the quality of my work doesn't change. Yeah. This, some of these, some, some, especially in the younger generation that I have come across when the phone comes out, everything stops. Like it's, you know, it's a, it's uh it's very interesting and that comes with time but you're right when you first start on a job or something like that you know and when you're getting started you know having the phone you know looking at that phone 24 7 uh, oh yeah it's it does it, it it doesn't sit well with a lot of people well it can be a distraction no doubt very much well luke it's been a pleasure um you know you you i've I've known who you were for a long time because of my boss and he talks very highly of you and, and the product that you provide uh, when it came to baseball and what you do now for Dura edge and just your knowledge of turf and dirt and, you know, your knowledge of just the industry in general and the resources that you use and the networking that you do. So it was, it's, you know, this has been one that I've looked forward to, you know, getting you on and, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I think most people will appreciate listening as well. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. It's my pleasure. I appreciate what you're doing with this podcast. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I hope we, uh, I hope we're going to get back to Myrtle beach this year. It's looking like we are. So I hope, I yeah. Hope. Hey, you got to make that one, man. It's going to be a good one. Oh, I know. I'm, last year that about drove us crazy. We couldn't go. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of us. Yeah. So, uh, looking forward to it. Well, you uh, enjoy your road trip this week and uh, stay safe. All right, man. I appreciate it. Take yeah, care. Man. Yes, sir. Well, that's it for today's episode. Again, I'm your host, Chris Toppings, with the Dirt on Turf podcast. And before we leave you, let me remind you about netting professionals. It doesn't matter what kind of netting you need, whether it's for a batting cage, a dugout, driving range, backstops, check out Netting Professionals. Go to their website, www.nettingpros.com, or follow them on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. You don't want to miss out with these people. Give them a call. Let them give you a price. They'll take care of you. Until next week, I'm Chris Toppings. See you then.